This is exactly right. Listen, we're all SVU fans. We love a family drama. We love a mystery to solve. And you got to get hooked into a story with the details. You need the visuals. You need the storylines with the twists and the turns. And that is what June's Journey has and more. June's Journey is a mobile mystery game that follows June Parker, a daring young girl on a quest to uncover the truth about her sister's murderer. Dun, 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 dun. This is your chance to test your detective skills because you'll play the game as June herself. The game is filled with all these beautiful detailed scenes from the 20s, like lavish estates and gardens. And of course, little hidden clues are everywhere. There's twists, turns, catchy tunes. It all takes you deep deeper into this storyline. And if you play well enough, you can make it into the detective club. And there you can chat with other players and even compete with or against them, which is pretty exciting. And you never know which character might be a villain. Shocking family secrets will be revealed. And can you crack the case? Find out as you escape this world and dive into June's world of mystery, murder, and romance. Okay, love that. And guess what? It's all just one tap away. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. That's June's Journey. Download the game for free on iOS and Android. Of the Law & Order franchises, SVU is considered especially watchable. We are the amateur detectives who kind of investigate the vicious felonies these episodes are based on. These are our stories. Dun-dun! Hello again and welcome to That's Messed Up, an SVU podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Kara Clank. And I'm Lisa Traeger. We talk SVU, crime, celeb guests up top. We chit chat. We catch up. Because it's not like we don't see each other constantly, but (laughs) it is nice to catch up. Um, well, I sent you a news story. Should we start there or do we want to start with some, oh, tour dates? Yeah, let me tell everybody the tour dates really yeah. quick. Um, guys, well, we just, just announced. We just announced a Los Angeles show. So let me go down through June what we're doing. We're going to be at Cobbs in San Francisco on June 8th. We're going to be at the Tempe Improv in Tempe, Arizona on June 15th. We're going to be at Denver Comedy Works in Denver on June 25th. And then we'll be at the Bourbon Room in Los Angeles on the 29th. LA, we need you to show up for this. We've moved venues. We love the venue we did before, but we're trying to do something a little splashier with... Guys, I just went to this place. Remember I talked about going to see Broadway Barbara? I went there to see her. It's such a fun venue. It's really cool. There's cool drinks. There's good. I had tater tots that were delicious. Come for the come for the tots. Stay for the SVU. Let's get uh, let's let's sell out this room. I know we have a ton of listeners in LA, and you guys got to come to our live shows and experience. Or drive if you're from other places. Oh my god! Yesterday, my sister yeah. texts me and she goes, "My friend Renata is coming to your show in San Diego tomorrow." I go, "I'm not in San Diego." What the? What is she talking yeah. about? She goes, well, she said she's going to your show in San Diego. I go, well, tell her to fuck off. <laughs> um, but it's because there's a comedy store in La Jolla and she was confused. So she was oh, just looking at the at comedy my, store. <laughs> yeah, and LA. But um, I thought that was funny and silly. Yeah, we have to sell out LA, so. Yeah, you guys got to come out, experience the magic um, and tell your yeah, friends. Yeah, if you're in Azusa, come on down. Oxford. Yeah. 
And bring friends. Like everybody that comes to our shows brings drag alongs, people, that's what we call them, people that don't listen to the pod and they always have such a good time. And, you know, I think some of them start listening, but maybe they don't. They just have a beautiful night. But yeah, our live shows are PowerPoint, jokes, fun stuff. It's not just us sitting at a folding table like doing the podcast, although that would be fun too. But it's extra shit. So come on out. Um... Is there anything Come else? On down. Business-wise, as always, guys, we're on TikTok now, an SVU pod on TikTok. And also- Do you want to be our intern? Come, <laughs> come shoot content with us. Yeah. And then we've got merch up. It's out at the link in our bio. So uh, on Instagram, which is that's messed up pod. So come buy some of our fun merch. We're we're getting putting out new merch soon, I think too. And that's that. So yeah, Lisa sent me this article over the weekend and was like, we're talking about this article, BuzzFeed. It's the wildest thing I've ever read. Lisa, do you want to summarize? Yeah, so basically this dude wants to propose to his girlfriend and he thought it would be funny to fake kidnap her. And I guess there was miscommunication with the hired guns. Well, they (laughs) were his friends. So while she was running every woman's fear, she gets snatched in a van by a group of men who restrain her and physically assault her in the car. They take her phone. They have her pinned down. One guy's caressing her upper thigh. Like they're trying to make her feel like this is it for you, babe. You're either going to get raped or murdered or both. And then they, you know, she's flipping out. She thinks she's going to die. And then they just like throw her out of the van and the guy's there to propose to her. And she's like, I never want to see him again. So I think the police are called. We don't know what charges are going to be brought on to people. The boyfriend is devastated, but he's giving her space. And she, her life is ruined. And I don't really know. But some of the other details are that what the boyfriend wanted to happen was he wanted his friends to like pull up in a van, jump out, like not even in masks and like hand her a note that's like, your boyfriend wants to see you at this location. Resistance is futile. So that she would like know immediately, this is a jokey thing. But his friends, he hired, he had one friend do it. And then that friend got two friends. And those two friends were like, now we need to up the ante more and like terrify her. Like that'll make it more fun. And they were like laughing the whole time while she was terrified. Like, I just, it's so fucked. Like, it's so fucked because it's not a joke. Yeah. Scaring someone into one of the worst things that can happen to you is not, I don't get the joke. And I bet these guys are just like, everyone's got to lighten up. It's like, if someone is crying and flipping out, like you stop. Yeah. But also how many movies... Did you not watch? Like to the friend, you don't hire random people. They will shoot to the place you're trying to rob. Like how many movie examples are there? Like you don't bring a random extra dude to do a job ever. Yeah. And also jawbreaker, such a lesson. Don't fake kidnap anybody. Like the risks, and like, I bet she'll never probably be able to run or at least for a while. I mean, so she's in full, like, your body, because actors talk yeah. about this a lot, and I feel like they're probably lying, but your body doesn't know the difference between fake and real. Yes. You yes. know, your body is... That trauma response is, like, real in her, and that's going to be there, you know? Even though yeah. the relief of it not being real washes over your brain, I feel like your body remembers. 
Yeah, do we do a poll? Would you still marry him or what? Like, I don't... <laughs> I think we know the answer to that poll pretty much. I think there might be charges against the guys. Like, not the boyfriend, I don't think, but against the, like, friends that... Should be. Yeah. You don't snatch a woman, throw her in a van, and touch her and think you're gonna... Yeah. Forcible If you think touching, that's a joke, yeah. you belong in prison. Because what else yeah. are you doing? Yeah. Psycho. What else do you think is funny, sir? It's twisted, man. And I was reading it in the middle of the night. Yeah, when you sent it to me, I was like, oh my God, this is terrifying. Um, And then I told my husband and he was like, what? Oh my God. Like he was like taking it more seriously than I did. Um, But though I took it very seriously. What were your final thoughts on the Met Gala? Curious. I loved it. I really... I really loved Anne Hathaway. I think she's my favorite. I love Dua Lipa. So I think I like the um, the tweet of it all, I think was my favorite. Yeah. I thought people turned it out. Some people were boring, but maybe he was boring. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think Lizzo looks bad. I think her stylist fucked up. Like, don't understand that look. Um, I think Emrata, I guess, was boring. But I thought everyone turned it out. Like, I like I liked seeing it. And I think Anne Hathaway did the best. I don't know that designer well enough. Like, I don't know Karl Lagerfeld well enough to be like, who's doing it well or not. I'm just kind of reacting to like the looks. Yeah, I guess Well, Lizzo's he is. designed for Chanel. So he was like head of mm-hmm. Chanel for many years and then Chloe, and then probably other places that I don't know about. So Chanel is like tweed, bows, pearls. And that's, you know, what people mostly did. Yeah, was it you that sent us a thing that was like Anne Hathaway just coming back to tell all you guys to fuck off after you all turned on her? Like, there was some meme that was like, everybody turned on Anne Hathaway and now she's fucking back to make you eat it. (laughs) Yeah, and people just hated her because she was too earnest. Like, she was a theater kid and it's like, what do you want? Oh, I love Dua Lipa's. Yeah. I think Dua and Anne Hathaway are my favorites and they're both kind of similar. So that's embarrassing for me. But um, who else? There were other people I liked. I liked some. Oh, uh, Cara Delevingne. Loved her. She had like thigh high black tight boots and then a white like puffy. Like a play on his shirt. Everybody looks really gorge. I feel like it's so many people looking hot. I loved, I loved Quinta's after party look a lot. Um, Oh, I love Emma Chamberlain. I liked both her looks a lot. I thought she did awesome. I think Janelle Monae always turns it out. And I'm glad the guys are finally, like, having fun. Usually it's only, like, two to three guys really sparkling. And this, it seemed like a lot of the dudes were, like, turning it out and being Yeah, I'm looking at this guy, Alton Mason, who's in, like, a wedding, wedding kind of like jumpsuit with a veil and it looks really cool. Yeah, I was just wondering because I just feel like... I love Rihanna always. Was there a cockroach or something at the Met Gala? Yeah, there was a cockroach on the stairs and uh, people were were having fun on the internet. Who were you wearing? Yeah, it's like, over here, over here. Uh, (laughs) I think someone then smushed the cockroach and it was like people were doing like RIPs, like 2023 to 2023, the life of the cockroach and, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, So there were three cats. It was Doja Cat, Lil Nas X, and Jared Leto were the cats of the evening. I got to see all these cats. Go look at the uh, cats. Wait, pick let your me look top. Up. I think Jared Leto, I just hate so much. And I was talking about him with other people last night where 
I guess Anne Hathaway mentioned when she worked with him that she never met Jared Leto. She only met the character Adam. And I'm like, I just hate these kinds of actors. I really, really do. Like, get a grip. Get a grip on reality. No, but I kind of like what he's wearing. It's... I kind of like that he's just in like a full mascot. I love mascot. it. He's my favorite cat. Yeah. Because I bet that's like a $15,000 cat. Yeah. Little Nas X looks cool too, but Doja Cat, I don't, the prosthetic stuff kind of freaks me out a little bit. I just have to be honest. Like her outfit, her body, like everything looks great on her outfit, but like the cat face, I'm like. I like the idea of like glamour, but twisted, you know? Like glitter, glitter, yeah. sexy. But then here I have a cat face. I like it. But both yeah. her and Lil Nas X did the same bit, which I think is embarrassing. And they answered all their interview questions with meow. So oh. it's like, you know, they should have maybe talked a little beforehand. Is there something catty about uh, Karl Lagerfeld? Like, is he a cat person? Yeah, he had a cat. Yeah, oh, a cat okay. that he loved. Okay. Because otherwise, Jared Leto's doesn't make a ton of sense to me. I mean, the other two can work, I feel like, but his being like full mascot. Um, anyway, yeah, I just cat. wanted to ask you because I know that you um, you consider the Met Ball a full event. So I wanted to hear your thoughts. I don't know if it's um, unique to me. I think it's an event. And our friend in the art world. I don't normally pay attention to it, but you, I know, oh, love yeah. it. Yeah, and I've been to the, I've been to the, you know, museum before to see, I went to the camp um, collection. Oh my God, Kara, I know where it's, we have to start the episode. Oh God. So in San Francisco, I, there was like a 22 year old young comic who said Whitney Houston is not a real artist because she doesn't write her own music. Ugh. And I schooled him. I taught him in a kind, amazing way. After I did to go take a shot of whiskey, it really like fucked with my constitution that anyone would say that. Last night, I was sitting with the, I think they're in a cult. I think these comics are in a cult. They were saying that Joe Rogan is as famous in the same level as Beyonce. No. And I was just like, no. And they kept trying to convince me. And I go, no, 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 we can disagree. I have no argument. I'm not a Beyonce. I'm not in the beehive. I'm just telling you as an objective person out of all of this. Beyonce, more people know who Beyonce is than Joe Rogan. Also, are you just talking about the United States of America? Beyonce is a worldwide superstar. Nobody in France knows who fucking Joe Rogan is. Well, and then at the, towards the end, then other people started agreeing with me because me and my friend Charlie were just like, more like, even if you're not a fan of Beyonce, you know who Beyonce is. Yeah. There are millions of people in this in the state. Who that don't we know live who in, Rogan who don't is. know who Rogan is. Yeah, totally. And then all of a sudden he goes, well, I mean like the reach and the influence. I go, no, 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 no. You said more famous and you're wrong. And now you're trying to like switch it all around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But these people are just, they're in a cult of Joe Rogan. Also, I went to his club while we were there in Austin and it was gorgeous. I was raving about it to you. I just found out from someone else. So there's like, a comedian balcony that you could watch everything and then a VIP balcony. And I guess Alex Jones and Elon Musk hang out there. So I'm never going to obviously go back. But, yeah, uh, that's yikes all around. Yikes. I was so excited. I was telling you, I was like, this is the best club. They're paying everyone amazing. It looks gorgeous. The green room's incredible. And then I just found out that fully Alex Jones hangs out there. Oh my God. It's like sick. You got to stop with the fucking Alex Jones, you guys. He... Oh my gosh. Anyway, 
Wait, I was just going to say something to you. But to think that Joe Rogan and Beyonce are on the same level of fame, I'm like, you guys are truly in a cult. You're in a cult. He's yeah. like 11 million. I go, just Instagram followers alone, she probably has 200-something million. And she and barely posts. Yeah. And he's in double digits, if he's even broken 20 million. Like, I don't even know. <laughs> and um, they go, well, a lot of those followers are fake. I go, you're an idiot. I go, you're all idiots. <sighs> and I'm like, I'm like, you don't even have to be a fan of Beyonce, but you know her children's names. You yeah. know single ladies. You know I Halo. just found like, out, I'm in the comedy community and I just found out Joe Rogan is married and had has kids. I don't know anything about him. I know all of Beyonce's information. She has 328 million followers. He has 16.9. It's million. insane. And he goes, well, some of them are fake. And it's like, they Even if half of them are fake, even if half of her followers are fake, she has 20 times as many as Joe Rogan. And they kept trying to argue. And I straight up went, I have no, I go, I don't need to argue They're literally with you. telling you the sky is green. There's nothing you can do. You can't argue. And he goes, stop trying to be the bigger person. I go, oh, I'm not trying. I don't, I know I'm right. Like, there's nothing that you can say that would make you correct in any way. Yeah. And then people were like, well, yeah, but he influences the way people live their lives more than Beyonce. Like in terms of the, and I'm like, you guys are idiots. This is the same guy that said Whitney Houston's not an artist because no, she's No, this is an LA a different person. guy. Oh, the people okay. in LA are obsessed with Joe Rogan to a place where they, like, I don't know if they think that one day they will get anointed by him. But to him, to them, they are, he is a god. Yeah. They, oh, I think what- they th oh. It's delusional to think yeah. he's more famous than Beyonce. It is literally like one plus one is seven. Like it doesn't make any sense. Um, but I was going to say, since we're on the subject, I did see I Want to Dance with Somebody on a plane. And I do get more emotional on planes, but I really loved it. I talked to my friend last night, Nicole, and she was like, I did not like it. Winnie Houston did crack for 20 years. Why didn't I see any of that? I was like, well, it's like a PG-13 movie that they're trying to make about her life. I don't think they showed, they showed the drug use, of course, but they didn't show like 20. She goes, she goes, Whitney Houston wore diapers at one point because she would just walk around and piss herself. I go, yeah, I don't think I want to see that in the movie, but we can agree to disagree. Maybe in 20 years, we could get a movie like that. It's a little fresh. Yeah, I, yeah. in 20 years, we can get the gritty biopic where it's got all the horrible shit. It's like so sad. Um, but the, this movie was just like nice. If you're on Delta, I just loved like seeing how she came to fame. She's like truly a voice of a generation. Like no one to me is like Whitney. Like even the best voices, I feel like no one is as good as her. But let's get started. This is a great episode and we gotta go. All right, all right. Um, this episode is called Parole Violations. It's from season 16, episode 15. And we start out with a big-ass teddy bear in our face, and it's being held by Bella Carisi. And she is played by Marin Ireland, who's been in a ton of stuff. She's also in that episode called Confrontation, which is has the guy from House of Cards who assaults women based on their ovulation calendar because he's trying to have some sort of like psycho master race fantasy. And um, so she's in that episode and now she's been brought back as Bella Creasy. I thought she was like recurring, but she's only been in this one episode as Bella. Um, That's so interesting. It's ovulation. I always think of him as the piss guy. Oh, right. The piss guy. Yeah. 
but ovulation <laughs> is more normal. Yeah. yeah. I mean, ni- neither are that normal, but yeah, I guess a little <laughs> bit more. <laughs> but he, I thought he was hot in House of Cards. Oh, you did? Yeah, Michael, I like Ke- Michael Kelly. Yeah. Yeah, I like, I mean, you know, it, but what's the, like, what's the help? A henchman, I guess, isn't hot, but I did love Doug Stamper in House of Cards. And he is, he's sort of more than a henchman. He's not just like hired muscle because he's kind of a strategist too. Like he's yeah. like, we're going to make it to the top together, like ruthless. But He's the first person I would say with a bozo haircut that I was like fully attracted <laughs> to. He does have a bozo. He needs to just give up the ghost and shave all the way around. No, he makes it good. You like it? I like him. I like him. <laughs> well, he's been in a bunch of SVUs too. He was in Slaves. Okay, so she is um, holding this teddy bear and showing Sonny Carisi, you know, our, our boy Carisi, who I will just call Carisi from now on, and I will be talking about him and not the sister. And she's like, oh, this is how I'm going to decorate the baby's room. Like a crib over there and then a changing table over there. And it's just like a hoarding room that's filled with junk. And she's just showing him like where she might put stuff. Carisi's like, sounds great. Like, but you can tell he's kind of judging it. Bella still hasn't told their mom, a.k.a. Serafina Carisi, a.k.a. Beverly D'Angelo, a dear friend of the pod. And um, she hasn't told her yet because she's waiting to get hitched to Tommy and Montauk soon. And this is another SVU Tommy. I'd like to give a shout out to our listener, Christina S., who has emailed us an extensive list We've of all the met Tommies. Her. Yes, we've met her. But she, I looked up the email list yesterday and was like, It is truly mind-blowing how many Tommies there are in this series. Like, I need to get to the bottom of, like, what's going on. Does someone... I think it's just an easy name. It's like Billy. It's like, okay, Tommy. Firefighter Tommy. I mean, it's just a lot of fucking Tommies. Also, Um, shout out to my friend Tommy Mac while we're at it. Oh, yeah. So many Tommies. The Tommy Sullivan comes in, and he is played by Michael Chernus, who is in tons of stuff. Like, he's in Severance right now. But I always know him immediately as Piper's brother from Orange is the New Black. And um, he's about to meet his parole officer. He's like on his way. And Bella's like, Sonny, what do you think? Tommy got a promotion. And like, he's like, yeah, now I'm the head like schlepper because I guess he's a mover. And Carisi's like, oh, tell your PO about the promotion. That's brownie points. And he's just like, I just want to get there early so I can leave early. They have a doctor's appointment to get their first sonogram. Blah, blah, blah. So Tommy tells Carisi, oh, did I did I tell you I popped the question? Or did she tell you I popped the question? She's going to make an honest man out of him. And Carisi's like, cool, awesome. Yeah, you def seem good enough for my sister. Like, you can just see he's like, great. Like, and, but he's like happy for his sister. And he hugs her and he's like, I am happy for you. So now we cut to Tommy in the hallway of his PO's office and he's got like a twitching leg. He looks anxious and he's like, he's, oh, wait, I, I actually wrote in my notes, he looks anxious, leg twitching, etc. A listener did take the time to message me that I was saying etc. and it's etc. So I have corrected myself and I'm learning and growing here on the podcast. Um, so what is it? What is it? And what's the wrong way? It's etc. Like it's etc. It's not etc. Like I'm saying it with like an X. Oh, interesting. Yeah, it's etc. It is Latin. So, you know, we should all be speaking this dead language correctly. Um, the PO shows up down the hall and it's fucking icon to me and Lisa, Susan Sharon from Sex and the City, aka Molly Price is the actor's name. I didn't realize she was on 130 episodes of the show Third Watch. So she's a regular on that show if you ever watch that. That makes me happy that, she, you know, I know she's a, she owns property. Yes. I know, I know she's doing good. <laughs> 
And that makes me sleep better at night, knowing that Susan Sharon is, she's retired. Yes. Well. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I mean, that's a fucking ton of network money in her pocket. So she's also been in so many great things, but like that is a thing that she was on for a long time. And she, I mean, I don't know. She's almost too funny for this role. She like comes walking in and she's like, Tommy Sullivan, you're still here? Good for you. And then she's obviously kept him waiting for a long ass time and does not give a shit. She is great. And I'm glad she got to be in Just Like That because she really livened up that funeral. So I hope they bring her back. Yeah. um, Yeah. I really love her. I want more Susan Sharon. I mean, that's like a good part and a good actor because there are a million people on on on, um, Sex and the City. And like, I know we know a lot of them and you especially because you're like huge into that show. But like, she sticks out, I feel like, to so many people um, for that arc that she did. Um, She's like, apparently he's been waiting there since- Well, I also, well, Sex and the City is filled with lessons. But that one is so, I think, in everyone because it's in everyone's lives. Like, are you honest or not with your friends when you don't like their significant other? Yeah. And I feel like people think about Susan Sharon often because of that. That's a lesson you think about a lot. Like, you might not always have to think about (laughs) some of the other goofiness, you know? Like, like not You might not be like, oh, I'm blowing a guy who has bad smelling sperm or whatever. That might not be your thing. But, like, everybody has met a spouse or a boyfriend or girlfriend of a friend and been like, not for me. Um, yeah, like not everyone has, yeah, has a premature ejaculator or someone that needs to fuck with porn or is all these weird things. But everyone's like, fuck, am I honest with my friend or not? Or do you put up with this? Or should they leave or should they not? And she was fun. And then she kept talking about him. And then the, do- you know, it's like, it's a lot. But then don't you think there's like kind of another weird like lesson or at least something to think about in that one where it's like, they kind of this, they're like this couple that like gets off on fighting. Like even though everyone's like, leave, leave. Then she's like, she like loves fighting with him. Like, aren't they, isn't? Well, yeah, but then the dog like saves them. So then they're calm. They're not fighting with the dog at the end. So maybe they did need the dog to not fight or or they are um, repeating, you know, bad habits from their past that they like to fight with each other. I have no idea, but yeah, she, she did. You know, but I think they stayed friends. Like, I don't think Susan Sharon really cares or listens to what anyone else is saying. Right. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think she remembered that Carrie was like, leave him. But it wasn't even that they were fighting. He was yelling with her there. That was weird. Right. I think I think about that couple a lot when like I see a couple where the man's being like rude and abusive in front of other people. Like, because it was kind of more... There's people's spouses I meet where I'm like, I just don't like you. I don't think you're being bad to my friend. I just don't like you. And then there's like the Susan Sharon couple too, where it's like, he's being very emotionally abusive, but then it kind of seems like she's like, let me handle this. I can do it. You know, like maybe she kind of, I don't think she likes it, but maybe that's like, people have generational trauma. That could be how they think relationships go. A hundred percent. Because also it's like, I doubt Susan Sharon's constantly bringing friends home in the middle of the night. Sure. Well, I don't like her in this show because no, she is she's a keeping criminal. somebody she's a waiting for two plus hours. This poor guy has been waiting <sighs> since two o'clock. He had a doctor's appointment at four and she's like, oh, what was the thing at four o'clock? Because he didn't say it was a doctor's appointment. And he's really beating around the bush, like not telling her what the thing was. And she's like, you should have made it for a different day. And he's like, well, it's actually for my fiance. Bella's, she's pregnant and it was a doctor appointment for her. And Donna 
which is, I do want to call her Susan Sharon the whole time, but her name <laughs> is Donna Marshall. And Donna looks like she's been kind of sucker punched when she finds out he's engaged and she's pregnant. And then she goes around and gets him a cup and is like, oh, I think we need to do a urine test. And he's like, right here. And she's like, yeah, the bathroom is flooded. And he goes, still? Which implies that she's used this excuse before. And she goes, you can decline and I'll ship your ass upstate right now. Fucked up. And then she closes the blinds and he has this like panic look on his face. Like he's definitely being, you know, about to be forced to do something he doesn't want to do. Cut to Carisi traipsing around the precinct with a box of cannolis, like a full caricature, like he was at the beginning. And he gives one to Rollins. Amaro's like, no. And then she's like, don't make me eat alone. It's like cop sweet talk or whatever about like fatty pastries. And then Bella barges in and is like, Sonny, where have you been? I've been texting you all morning. Tommy didn't come home last night and his phone is going straight to voicemail. So she's in a full panic. Obviously, big bro Sonny's going to figure this out. We cut immediately to the 11th precinct where Carisi's walking out of this police station with Tommy because he got into some kind of like wasted bar fight the night before. And I guess he's been in like a holding or the drunk tank the night before. So Carisi's like, I'm not covering for you with Bella. Also, your PO's going to find out. And he goes, yeah, I'm not that worried about that. And he's like, well, you should be because he's... And he's like, no, my PO's a woman. And then very quickly, it just comes out where he's like, she made me do her. Like, and Carisi flips his shit and is like, you cheated on my pregnant sister. Like, pulls Tommy, like, slams him up against a police cruiser. And he's like, I didn't want to. She pulled her gun. Please don't tell Bella. And then we're at the credits. So, Of course he's gonna, t- that's his sister. Yeah, You I think know. bro code over family? You Then you don't know Sonny. Yeah, and it's like, when we find out very soon, they've got a long history with this family. He's never picking you over Bella. And Carisi, at the top of Act One, is telling Liv the whole situation. It sounds like Tommy's been kind of walking the line for a while between being a fuck-up and getting his shit together. And just when they think he's gonna, like, turn it all around, he usually fucks up again. And Liv's like, there's no perfect victims. You know, she's always, like, seeing the full side of it. And Carisi explains how Tommy basically decided to combine weed with delivering pizza. You know what? Uh, an entrepreneur, if you ask me. I don't think that sounds like he didn't fucking murder anyone. He wasn't dealing crack. I mean, weed and pizza, they kind of go hand in hand. He got three years in jail for that. Hope that probably wouldn't be such a heavy offense today, but... And his sister waited for him. The sister, Bella, waited for him while he did that. Now he's out on parole, and now this. Liv tries to convince Carisi that Tommy's a victim and needs his support, and Tommy doesn't even understand that he was assaulted. Carisi explains that Tommy claims that after the urine test, she pulled the gun, forced him to have sex, and that he... But the but Carisi's like, he must have been into it or it wouldn't have worked. And this is like a theme that goes on through the entire episode is like, how do you get a boner if you don't like it? And it's like, in 2015, I'm just surprised that that's still like a- Well, this is what I'm going to say. It's 2015 for us. We've been watching SVU for a while, but Sonny just joined the force. That's true. That's true. Sonny's but- just a bumblehead from Staten Island. He doesn't, yes. he doesn't understand <laughs> that men can get raped. Yeah. But even doing research for this crime, all the news um, articles are like, they won't call it rape. It is like interesting. Whoa. It's all like for um, forced into sex. Like it is forced into intercourse. Forcible sexual intercourse. <laughs> yeah. Like that's like, rape. <laughs> like all the language won't say. Wow. Wow. wow so wow. it is like, even now, I mean, internet comments. I just read for rage, but I'm sure the internet would be like, most people won't believe it. Yeah. Yeah. Now, you know. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's just like, it just keeps popping up. Like every single person we meet in this episode is like, but how do you get the boner? So it's really confusing. <laughs> and so- Casey's like, laughing. He liked that. <laughs> he liked the boner joke. Um, but how do you get the boner? Is that merch? Um, okay. So- like, basically, Carisi doesn't believe male rape is possible. And this is, like, rule number one for SVU detectives. People can get sexually aroused in assault situations. Like, they say even, like, sometimes women can, like, orgasm during a sexual assault. Like, it's not... It's just, like, a bodily response. Um, and Liv gives, Liv gives Carisi shit, like... And he's, like, he's a victim, and he's certainly not gonna trust you with any of the details or opening up to you the way you're acting. So now Liv and Amaro go see Tommy at his job. He doesn't really want to talk to them. It looks fucking freezing and he's moving. I'm like, can you guys like catch up with him during lunch? Like this is, they got to stop him. It's like, they can all see their breath. These guys are moving huge armoires. And Liv's like, look, you're just going to go to your PO next week and hope this doesn't happen again. And he's like, yeah, I only have three months left. I'll suck it up. And Liv's like, this is not your fault and it's not just going to go away. And Tommy's like, no one's going to believe an ex-con about something like this. And it is really sad and unfair. Like recidivism is like sort of based in a lot of the fact that these people are so ex-convicts are so easy to take advantage of because they don't think anyone will believe them. And many times nobody will believe them about anything. So they say, go to the hospital when you get off work. We need you to get tested for evidence, but also STIs. It's like this man is not showered. I guess they just want to make sure that he might have like some of her DNA on him still. But like, yeah, you have a pregnant wife, like your pregnant fiance, like you should get tested for STIs just in case. And um, they're kind of getting to him with that. He's like, oh, I hadn't thought about that. And so like uh, the guys he's working with are like, get a little help over here. And he's like, all right, just come by tomorrow, bring the clothes you're wearing and we'll take your statement. So now we're at the precinct and Rollins, I feel like one of the reasons that we've all been up and down with Rollins is because she is the first person to be like, I don't know. Like, she's very skeptical. She's like, there's no witnesses. The victim might even want to, might not even want to pursue charges. And then they're like, no, Tommy came in and gave a statement. He's reluctant, but consistent. And Carisi's like, I want to know if he's credible. And Rollins is like, I'm really not buying it. And uh, she goes, it looks bad that he didn't disclose until after the parole violation. Drink, that's the name of the episode. If you're listening to this on a Tuesday morning, please drink in your car. Liv tells Carisi, um, you know, you can't be part of this investigation. And then let's all watch as he is fully part of the investigation for the rest of the episode. But he, they, she says, you can walk your sister, Bella and Tommy through like what's going on and what's going to happen in the future. And so he's like, all right, I, I guess I'll go do that now. She's like, yeah, on your way. So now Liv and Rollins gather around tomorrow's computer for the breakdown of Donna Marshall, aka Susan Sharon. She's a master in social work. She was at the top of her class. She's been in that office Which is of shocking. Because, you know, my theory is um, good people do social work, sociology, bad people do criminal justice. So the fact that she mm. did social work is a fork in my theory. Well, I don't know. Let's talk about it when we get later into the episode, like what the, where the Donna, where Donna went off the tracks. You know what I mean? Like maybe it's possible like when she graduated college, she really was like, I'm going to help these people. I'm going to do good. And then like, you know, it, she got broken at some point. So anyway, she has the lowest recidivism rate in the department. She's been there for 10 years. She's very like, highly respected. So and just the way she speaks, like it could be my ASMR. I can go to bed said Susan Sharon playing Donna. Like the way she <laughs> says detective in this, the way she says recidivism, like the, her nails in the, like she is 
she is mother. Like yeah. she is the moment. <laughs> like, like she is a criminal. She is, she is bad. But like I love, like um, aesthetically, the way she sounds. Like I am in love with her. It's oh my it's gosh. Twisted. I hope she. I hope somebody she knows listens to this podcast and sends her and is like, "Do you want like a full twenty minute like compliment?" Because here it is on this podcast. Um, detective, like I detective. Just love, yeah, I love detective. Her. Yeah, and she's like. Um, she's like, I had a moment of weakness. I'm human. Like, yeah, she's so funny. Rollins is like, uh, dude, the Department of Corrections is going to stonewall the shit out of us. Like, you think cops put up a front? Like, the DOC is even worse or whatever, which we've seen other episodes where there's office, where there's correctional officers involved and they all do cover for each other. Like the oh, Ray Romano's brother, Brad Garrett episode. Yeah. So Liv tells the skeptical Rollins and Amaro that if genders were reversed, they would be handling this totally differently. We all saw his affect. We see how he's acting. Why don't we handle this like it's a woman making a complaint against a male PO? And so in the next scene, they're bringing in Donna Marshall's boss, who is a guy named Ralph Kessel. And he's like, LOL, somebody's making a claim. These ex-cons are all scumbags. I'm sure it's bullshit, but just in case, I'll play along. Who is it? And then they say Donna, and he goes, uh, you know she's a woman, right? And it's like, yeah, no one thinks somebody named Donna is a man, but also, like, it's just wild that, like, the that women cannot commit any kind of sex crime to all of these people in this episode. And Benson's like, uh, yes, we are aware. And so he immediately assumes it's a lesbian victim. And then they're like, no, it's a male victim. And he immediately laughs. And Benson explains that a gun was pulled and that Tommy felt he had to comply. And then he goes, comply? Sounds like my wife. And Amaro goes, ha ha, mine too. And it's like, Mar Amaro, you and Maria have like never kissed before. I can't believe it in a million years. So like, I don't know what you're doing. And I think that's like one of my issues with Amaro is I can never really tell if he's being a misogynistic asshole or he's like playing the game to get on the good side of these people. In this episode, whatever he's doing here doesn't really pay off. So I'm just left thinking that he thinks it's cool to act like, you know, sex with your wife is complying. Like, so- But I, he I, isn't a loveless marriage. I think, but because we don't know why they got married. Like, did they get married because someone was going to Iraq or did he get her like pregnant? Like, what did they love each other? Like, I don't what, know. I don't know the. I don't know the their origins. Yeah, he's never been like at the beginning. It was great. We were crazy about each other, and then things changed. I mean, like it. It feels like they grew apart when she was a like overseas, like deployed. Yeah, yeah. but. You know, what, what, I just feel like it is weird to be like, comply. Sounds like my wife. It's like, yeah, your wife has the right to tell you no to sex any fucking time she wants. And so that's your life. Um, and Ralph's like, give me the name of this lying SOB. And Liv does not give it because this man is trash. And so now we are back at Tommy and Bella's place. And uh-oh, Italian girl knows everything. And she is mad, mad, mad. She is furious at Sonny for defending him. She's like, hey, cheated on me. And like, you, you now you're defending him. And uh, Carisi and Tommy are trying to explain to her that this was non-consensual and it was assault. But she's like, you can't even fuck in my parents' house with them sleeping two doors down, but you can get it up with a gun to your head. That's her theory. Again, how'd you get a boner? Um, and then suddenly, in the middle of all this Italian screaming back and forth, there's a knock at the door and it's, dun-dun, Donna Marshall. She's doing a random home inspection. And Tommy's like, what's this all about? And she's like, why don't you shut the fuck up? And then she goes into the bedroom and comes back in approximately half a second with big bags of OxyContin. And 
Tommy's like, I never saw any of that. And then they cuff Tommy and Creasy's like, don't say anything till you get a lawyer. He has not revealed himself at all to be a cop. And then Donna's like, yeah, Tommy, better call Saul. <laughs> like, nice ref. And I then, didn't know that that show was even on already. Damn, time's Oh, flying. yeah, 2015. Well, it may not have been Better Call Saul may not have been on, but in the show Breaking Bad, he, Better Call Saul is like his calling card. So it could have just been a Breaking Bad reference. So they leave. Bella's distraught. Like, why didn't you tell them you're a cop? And Carisi's like, that would not have helped in this situation. I don't know if I agree with that. But like, if he had first identified himself as a cop, I think she may have thought twice about planting the drugs. If she'd been like, hi, I'm Detective Sonny Carisi from SVU. I don't know if she would have been so ballsy to plant drugs. You know what I mean? So anyway... Top of act two, we're in like some kind of jail, like holding or like jail, but Tommy's in his orange jumpsuit, swearing to Carisi that those were not his drugs. And Tommy's like, she planted them. She must have found out I was accusing her. Did you guys tell her? And Carisi's like, of course we didn't. And Amaro's like, oh, we definitely did. We just talked to her boss, who she's apparently heavy best friends with. And Tommy's like, those two are thick as thieves, which just reminds me of Jersey Housewives. And Lisa did get me a onesie for Oscar when he was born that says, let me tell you something about my family. We're thick as thieves, which I still have and I'm writing to give to the right baby that I know. <laughs> and Carisi is like, we have to show that she had a reason to plant those drugs. And Tommy's like, of course, he thinks no one will believe him. And Carisi goes, I do. And this makes Tommy feel better that his like brother, soon to be brother-in-law who's never really liked him is like, I'm on your side. I believe you. Now, Amaro and Carice are updating Liv. They're going to test the baggies of Oxy, of Oxy for DNA. Can we also get, like, where's the rush on that DNA from his clothes? Find out from the lab. And Liv tells Carice that Tommy's in for a fight with this rape charge. And he's like, yeah, my sister's pissed at him. And Liv's like, well, he did the right thing. So, like, coming forward. So now out in, like, what do you call the area where all the cops sit? Like, the pen? The bullpen? I think it is called, like, a bullpen. So out in the bullpen. I was like, the quad? <laughs> Rollins is still Sally skeptical and is like, well, Tommy is a dealer. And it's like, that was weed and he doesn't even do that anymore. And then like, he's getting his life together and it's like, but he did get into a bar fight. It's like, Rollins, you're so far from perfect. You're just like refusing to admit that this guy like could be just a good guy who's being like set up. And he says, no, things were going good for Tommy. And she goes, well, some people can't handle that and they self-sabotage. And I think that she's projecting a little because I think she does that. Like if she, like when she first met Carisi, like an actual nice guy who liked her. And she was just like, bye, I'm going to go fuck bartenders in West Virginia. See you later. You know, I think that Rollins does a little bit of self-sabotage. And Carisi's like, bitch, I was there when she found the drugs and she was like a damn bloodhound. It was like less than a minute. Like there's no way. And Rollin goes, well, someone is lying and walks off. And Carisi goes, well, she's big on tough love, huh? And it's like, you're going to find out soon enough, sir. And Amaro explains that Rollins' sister has played her ass a bunch and that, like, you know, that's where she comes from, being skeptical about, like, family stuff. And he's like, well, her family isn't my family. And Amaro's like, but Tommy isn't even your family. Bella is. You got to look out for her. And then just then, they get a call. The touch DNA on the clothes is back in. And guess what? Donna's saliva is present plus fluids. She's just, like, drooled all over this man during sex. Okay. So... 
even if she had sex, even if they had consensual sex, that's against the law because she's like in a position of power against him. So she broke the law and the good, and that's good news. And they're, and he's like, yeah, try telling that to Bella Carisi. She's not going to hear it. So Carisi is chasing Bella down the street now and she's like not having any of this shit. She's stressed. She's thinking about moving in with her parents and Carisi goes, I cannot stress what, what an insane idea that is. And I really <laughs> like that. He's like, you cannot move in with mom and dad. Um, and she's like, I've dealt with this shit for 10 years. Like, I guess they've been together 10 years with him fucking up and then the jail, she waited. It's like, I think she's just been waiting a decade for this man to get his shit together and grow up. But now he's cheated. And then she brings up the other sisters and like that they don't like Tommy. And Carisi goes, uh, to be fair, our sisters are fucking nuts. He goes, Teresa won't talk to a guy who makes less than six figures. And Gina's been engaged 10 times. Like, it's really funny. And I really want to know who would we cast as Teresa and Gina? Who would well, be? not cast, but I, I obviously was like, this is so Jersey Housewives. Like, she's yes. Danielle Staub. Okay, so what are their names? Teresa, and she won't talk to anybody who's under, like, who who's poor. Like, she needs a rich guy. Okay. And they, I feel like it's got to, we got to stay blonde, blue-eyed with this, like, even though they're, they must be Northern Italian because they're very light complected for these heavily Italian people. I didn't know we would be casting. I wish you gave me a <laughs> We don't have to. We don't up. have to. I know. Next time I'll like send you an email and be like, oh, do you think Megan Fahey can do a Staten Island accent? Yes, yes. Bring back Megan Fahey. Yes. Oh, she Megan can do anything. Fahey with a yes. Staten Island accent. And she's she's um Gina. Because I could see her getting engaged 10 times. I, yes. I really could. Yeah. She's Gina. Teresa... I mean, the only person I'm thinking of is Margot Robbie, but like, I don't know if Margot yeah. Robbie is going to be playing a Carisi at the moment. Yeah. Do you think Amanda Seyfried can do a um, Staten Island accent? So we're, so these, so we're only casting within the SVU universe. Oh no, I just literally Googled and she cop she popped up. I'm not trying to on purpose. <laughs> but it would be funny if all these people just came back because Beverly D'Angelo has been a character. Carisi's been a character. They've all been characters before. And then the whole Carisi family is just recast people. That would be funny. Yeah, I would totally, yeah, let's do, let's do that. Let's totally do that. I feel like there was also another episode where, wasn't there Oh, another Julia Garner. That's a funny one. That's fun. Oh, one, yeah. Yeah, she can do talented. it. She can do any accent, as we know. Why are you yes. so poor? Oh, that's perfect. <laughs> she can just do her Anna Delvey character with a Staten Island accent. Yes. She's like, yes. oh, you seem very poor. We cannot date. Okay, so <laughs> you can, anyway. You can do it, honestly. <laughs> I'll dye my hair blonde and play a Carisi. I would love it. She, okay, so he's basically like, do not listen to our crazy bitch sisters, please. And she's like, oh, you suddenly love Tommy? And he's like, look, the guy's fucked up a lot, but this isn't one of those times. And she admits to Sonny that she's thinking of terminating the pregnancy. Like, this is all too much for her. She's only 10 weeks along. And Carisi's little Catholic heart is breaking at that idea. But Bella is like, I'm too stressed. I can't raise a kid on my own. She goes back into her apartment and Carisi looks like he's going to cry. Like, he was really looking forward to meeting this um, niece or nephew. And so... Now, top of act three, we've got Liv and Rollins in interrogation with Donna Marshall and her lawyer, whose name is Mickey D'Angelo. No relation, because he's a fictional character. But um, he's been this a lawyer in six episodes as this character. The actor's name is Joseph Lyle Taylor, and he's been Mickey D'Angelo in six episodes. A bunch of like season 16, 17, 18, I feel like, 19 maybe. And they're like, okay, so you admit you had sex with a parolee, and Mickey D is like, initiated by Tommy and Susan Sharon... She's truly like such a Sex in the City character here. She's like, 
I'm human. I had a moment of weakness. Like she's kind of like grinning about like them having like hot office sex or whatever. And she describes the whole scene where like Tommy gave her a massage and he started kissing me. And she said it was a bad idea, but he was aggressive. And then they're like, did you say no? And she goes, when I say no, people listen. And he didn't rape me. And I certainly didn't rape him. She admits to performing oral sex on him and them having intercourse. And she's like, I've been divorced for five years and it just felt good to be wanted. And they're like, okay, so like, did you know he put in three requests to change POs? And she's like, well, that's not surprising. I'm the toughest one. And he's like, but if you're so tough, why would he try to hit on you? That feels like a a far shot to hit. And he's, she goes, parolees are manipulative. They think they have the upper hand. And then Rollins is like, isn't it your job to not let them have the upper hand? It's like, okay, Rollins. And then they're like, do you have a gun? Like, where was your gun during this? And she's like, yeah, I carry. And then she starts laughing. Like, you think I held him at gunpoint? LOL. She goes, he was ready, willing, and able. And again, the boner is proof. Everybody cannot stop talking about this man's boner. They get up to leave and Donna is like, this guy is a criminal, a liar, and a recidivist. He came on to me and now he's backtracking because his pregnant girlfriend found out he cheated on her. And then as she walks out, she gives Olivia this wild like attaboy slap on the arm. <laughs> it's really funny actually. And I wonder if she improvised it because Olivia's like, the fuck? Like I'm a sergeant and you just like smacked me on here like I'm your, in your bowling league with you. And the lawyer is like, if you believe a scumbag over a fellow officer, you should be ashamed. And like, I don't know if it's real or not. And I don't want to, I don't want to demean anyone who's in corrections because that sounds like a very hard job. In this show, it doesn't feel like cops treat POs and like corrections officer people as like, the same as them. It feels like they feel like they're lower on the totem pole in in my from what I garner from SVU. I don't know if that's in real life. And so they they leave and Amaro's got like he's like I've got the results of the drug test baggies. There's no DNA from Tommy on the packaging, so there's no proof he touched any of it. And they found touch DNA belonging to a guy named Jordan Delphi who's a parole drug dealer. And guess who his PO is? Ding dong. It's Donna Marshall. So now we're at Jordan's apartment and he's got his girlfriend and his baby there. Amaro and Rollins start tossing the place immediately. Rollins, just like Suze, just like Donna, Rollins finds that oxy with the quickness. And uh, they go, Donna's been your PO for three years and you've passed all your drug tests. And he's like, Donna made me give her that oxy. And they're like, in exchange for what? Clean drug tests? And he goes, yeah, she knows how to add just the right amount of vinegar to urine so that I can pass these tests. Is that a real? I wonder if that's real. I should have Googled it, but I didn't. And he says he provides other services to Donna as well to assure the clean drug tests. And they're like, what do you mean? And he's like, she's a divorced, lonely lady. Use your imagination. When she says it's time for a piss test, the pants come down. And he says he once tried to say no, but she pulled the gun out. So here we go, matching stories. So now Liv and Carissa are talking to Barba and Barba's like, okay, so both victims will testify in open court. And they're like, yep, they will. Barba says, I've never taken a case like this to court. And I don't know a DA who has. And I'm like, we in season three, they take female rapists to court on this show. So I know that they have before. Like the Casey Novak episode where she's not Casey Novak. I forget what that one's called, but you know what I mean? Where the women like rape a stripper and I just- Yeah, but I don't think they're found guilty for that crime. They're found guilty for murdering their Murdering friend. the girl. Yeah, yeah. But he's, yeah, so he's saying like, no one's ever taken a female rapist to court in New York. Like this isn't gonna, this is gonna be really tough. And he's like, the hard part is convincing a jury that a woman can rape a man at all. So 
again, I mean, this feels like something they would have done in like the early 2000s, but 2015, I feel like we were past this. Anyway, at Liv's apartment, she's giving Bella all these hand-me-downs from Noah and, and a cup of herbal tea. And she's like trying to assure Bella. She's like, I've been doing this for a really long time. I know that these assaults can be really hard on victims, but also on their families. Everything Tommy has told us has checked out. He is not making this up. He did not want this to happen. And again, she's like, but the boner, how could the boner happen with a gun to his head? And uh, Benson goes, it's a mechanical response, like a sneeze or like crying when you cut onions. Like when you cut onions, tears come out of your eyes, but you're not sad, which is a good metaphor for this, I feel like. And she's like, trust me, bitch, I've been doing this for like a million years. I've seen it all. This happens. And then little Noah squeaks awake. And I, I do like this Noah. He's very cute. He's got big cheeks and like long hair. He's cute. And um, he meets Bella and she's like immediately all smiles. So it's like, I guess she's keeping the baby. But in court, Carisi is on the stand and Barba is wrapping up with him. And now Donna's lawyer, Mickey D, stands up and he's like, didn't Tommy tell you about his alleged assault after you picked him up from jail? And he knows that you're an SVU detective. So maybe he was just trying to get your sympathy after he cheated on your sister. And he points out how Tommy didn't even think he was raped and only used that term after talking to Liv and the SVU people. And they, they pan to Donna and she looks smug as hell. And her hair looks very good for like a woman who's a parole officer, I feel like. I mean, I show me a picture of a parole officer who has shiny, silky hair like this. It looks really beautiful. And now Tommy is on the stand describing how Donna made him lie on his back. And when he hesitated, she pulled the gun. So he did whatever she said. She handcuffed his wrist to her desk. Then she asked his D, as we used to say at summer camp. No, she <laughs> gave him oral, you know, sex. And then, well, but it wouldn't be called oral sex, right? She forcibly you know, copulated him. And then she got on top of him for forcible penetration. And he was angry and terrified. He was worried about Bella and that she was going to shoot him or send him back to jail. He's like, you got to understand these POs have all the power over us. Like, and so now her asshole lawyer is on the stand and is like, wow, the boner, even with a gun to your head and the cuffs. And it's like, you guys should have had a doctor come in first and be like, yes, you can get a boner under duress. Like that would have been a good like baseline to start with. Just so they can stop bringing this up to like him a million times. So then his this lawyer is like, so what's more likely that this decorated officer raped you and went to your house and planted drugs or that you got arrested and this decorated officer went to check on you and found the drugs and then you cried raped. And it's like, but that's not the order that things happened. The rape cry was before the drugs and there's many cops that can attest to that. So I hate this man. Barba keeps objecting and having things stricken. And like this, he's one of these lawyers that doesn't care when it's like, objection, move to strike. Okay, stricken from the record. He doesn't care. He just moves on. I think he knows the jury is still hearing his point. And by the way, the judge in this episode is Judge Karen Blake. She's been in 19 episodes of SVU. The actress's name is Amy Brabson, and she is married to Andre Brower. Whoa. Power couple. Yeah. Damn. They're married. They got three kids. She is, and he's an SVU alum and, you know, a Brooklyn Nine-Nine favorite. And uh, yeah, she's been in tons of episodes of SVU. Anyway, she grants a recess. Tommy goes and apologizes to Barba. And he's like, sorry, he was twisting all my words. And he's like, Barba goes, you did fine. But in a way that's like, you did not do fine. And he's like, <laughs> the, he's like, the attorney wants to know how the drugs got in there. Well, Jordan Dolphy's about to tell them. And so Barbara, I just called him Barbara. Yeah, I heard So Barbara goes out side looking for Jordan and they can't find him. And there's this like courthouse officer 
who's like, oh, that's like squirrely little guy. He was jonesing for a smoke. So I told him to go outside. They all run outside. Jordan is gone. They try to scold this officer. Like, how could you let him walk out of here? And he's like, uh, not my job. And they're like, he's a material witness. And he goes, now he's immaterial. So I guess if he walks back in here, I'll find him. But until then, fuck off. Like this officer gives like less than zero fucks about helping these SVU detectives. Um, and Barba at the top of act four is begging the judge for a continuance. They're like, we've done an exhaustive search all night for Jordan and we can't find him. And she's like, well, then, but that other guy, Mickey D goes, she's got, my client's got a right to a speedy trial. And the judge is like, you're right. And she denies the continuance. And then she goes, so are you going to call any more witnesses? And she's, and Barbara goes, Dolphy was our last witness. So it looks like the prosecution rests. So then the Mickey D'Angelo goes, well, then we'll call our first witness, Jordan Dolphy. And Barbara goes, excuse me, in a way that I would, that is so vitriolic that I would like, if I was on the receiving end of this, excuse me from Barbara, I would truly like, piss my pants and like curl into a ball. Like he is livid. And um, this like jackass lawyer is like, yeah, Jordan Dolphy came to us in the dead of the night and said his confession was coerced by the police and Barba is furious. So now Jordan is on the stand saying, oh yeah, the cops said that if I made a deal to testify against Donna, they would, you know, like take away a drug charge for me or whatever. And so like basically this whole case against her is trumped up and she's been so good to me and I can't have her go down for something I did. I'm the one that sold Tommy all that oxy. She had nothing to do with it. And then it's Barbara's turn to go up there and he looks like he's about to dig into a juicy steak, like a Wagyu <laughs> beef steak. Like, he's like, oh, hi, Jordy. Um, wow, you really just quoted Sandoval from Vanderpump. I did? Yeah, that's what he talked about, Katie. So. Oh, a Wagyu beef steak? I mean, it is cool that she's the one that's suspicious of him and kind of breaking this. But yeah, he's like, yeah, she's so she's so vengeful. She's taught she's sinking into this like a like a wagyu beef steak. Oh, she's salivating. Wow. That must be in the back of my mind. I did just watch that episode a few days ago. Yeah, um, which I don't even know if I've ever had. I gotta start eating this wagyu steak. Yes, I can tell you a good place to go too. Because I mean, I don't eat it, but I went to a place with Jared once where they had it. Um. <laughs> Barba goes to this man. What's up, Jordy Jord? He goes, you haven't failed a drug test in three years. And he goes, right, because I'm clean. And it's like, sure, Jan. And he goes, but the detectives found Oxy at your house. And he goes, it's just for sale. I don't use. And he goes, but you do use heroin. And he goes, no. And then Barba's like, can you roll those little sleeves up, please, for me? And... You know, he's like, you can't ask me to do that. And the judge is like, actually, he can. Get those sleeves up. And he <laughs> rolls them up and those babies are riddled with track marks. And he's like, so are those fresh needle marks? And he admits that they are. And he's like, so how do you pass three years of urine tests when you're clearly using hard drugs? And um, the asshole lawyer is like, can we get a recess? And Barbara goes, now? He's my witness. And this is like peak Barba. Like Barba's like, you do not fuck with me the way you just tried to, sir. And I am coming for you. Didn't you tell SVU that Donna doctored your urine tests with vinegar and that you had sex with Donna in exchange for those clean tests? And then Jordan breaks down and starts yelling into the galley being like, you said you were going to fix this. And he's not even talking to Donna. He's talking to her boss, Ralph Kessel, the guy we met at the beginning. And so Barba goes... 
So did he uh, convince you to testify for the defense? These And the guy, poor Jordan, I mean, he goes, these people own your ass. You want to stay out of prison, you do anything they say. So it's not like he had much of a choice in like coming up with this story, I feel like. And the lawyer again goes, I need a recess, your honor. And Barbara goes, I'm sure you do. And then he walks by the lawyer, leans in and goes, never trust a junkie. And the lawyer goes, the lawyer makes it look like he's right. And he looks very defeated. And it's, hilarious. I like watching this guy get his just desserts. In the next scene, Barbara and Liv are in a room meeting with Donna and her lawyer, and she's willing to plead guilty to evidence tampering and lose her job. And they're like, um, she raped a man at gunpoint. And he's like, there's no proof of that. No jury is going to convict a female rapist like they basically never have. And she doesn't want to be humiliated by talking about her sex life up there. And Liv's like, or going to jail as a parole officer, which is very likely right now. And so then the guy goes, okay, evidence tampering, one-year probation. And they're like, what about the rape? And they're like, okay, we'll add sexual misconduct. And Barbara wants five years probation and she goes on the registry. And she goes, that doesn't work for me. And Liv goes, you better rethink that bitch because if you go to jail for five years as a PO, it's gonna be really brutal for you. And Donna looks scared shitless. And so she kind of like wordlessly agrees, like, there's no way I can go to jail. So let's not gamble with the jury. So then Donna gets one last monologue to Olivia. She goes, you don't get what it's like. You cops lock these animals up and you never have to deal with them again. I'm supposed to rehabilitate them. I give up my life and my marriage for this job. And then uh, Tommy Sullivan- Very Whoopi Goldberg. Yes, it's very Whoopi Goldberg's final thing. She goes, and then Tommy Sullivan walks in all pumped about his pregnant girlfriend and his wonderful new life. Like, obviously that's like what broke her about the whole situation was that he was like gonna get out of the system and be happy. And meanwhile, it's like, this is a guy who sold weed while delivering pizza. He's not a murderer. She's like, you, these animals, they never change. It's like, he was a weed delivery guy. Like, this is crazy what you're, how you're trying to, I'm sure you have other clients that are horrible. No, but parole officer or like the people that love law enforcement, it's like law and or rules are rules. Like they don't, they don't care. Right. Like they don't see the difference. Like to them, the law is the law and that's that. These are not, these are people that would be, you know, working at Auschwitz because the <laughs> rules are the rules. Like they don't yeah. see, they don't, that's what's weird. That's why I don't believe that someone that majored in sociology and social work would be a parole officer. That's why it's criminal yeah. justice people. Because if you learn about like, wait, so if you're like poor and you don't have a parent in the home and then your options are limited and your school sucks, then maybe you will be more open to crime. Yeah. Oh, fuck. But criminal justice people are like, well, you that's the law, the law yeah. and that's what it is. And we got to teach these fuckers a lesson. And so it doesn't matter where you're from. Morals are morals. And that's what Jesus Christ said. Yeah. And so that's why I'm so into my <laughs> that's theory. What Jesus Christ said. <laughs> when Jesus Christ wrote the penal codes for New York State, <laughs> he clearly said... Well, here's the thing. She goes on in this like monologue to live and she goes, I tried to help him. I tried to help all of them. And they take your hand and they drag you down to their level. They don't want to change. They will never change. And it's like, are they, is the show trying to make us think that like criminals like ruined this woman's life and made her delusional? Like, because what is she talking about? She committed a crime. Like she knows she did. Like we saw it almost happen on 
the show. So it's weird that she's like, somehow Tommy Sullivan dragged you down to his level. Like, I don't understand what the show is trying to say with this final monologue about this woman. Yes, it's a hard job. It's like with Whoopi Goldberg's monologue, it's like, this is a fucking hard job. Kids fall through the cracks and tragedies like this happen because this system is fucked up. What is she saying though? The system is fucked up. I get all these animals. So if I want to rape a guy who delivered weed and pizza, well, sometime I'm allowed to do that. Like, I don't really get what she's saying or like what the show is trying to say here about her worldview. Because she's just blaming it on criminals. But I guess it's about the dehumanization of people that have been in jail or incarcerated at all, like ex-convicts. Like, she's just like, these are animals and they're all the same and it's one size fits all. They're all degenerates. They'll all try to screw you over. So who, who, what does it matter what we do to them, basically? And Barbara's like, get this hot mess out of here. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, she's sick. Uh, so they leave. And Carisi is giving Bella the update back at the apartment. No jail for Donna, but she is losing her job. She's going on the sex registry. And they're going to look at her boss, Kressel, as well, see if he's been doing more cover-ups. And they're dropping the drug charge against Tommy, so he'll get out soon. So we're basically back where we started at the beginning. Tommy and Bella <laughs> in the apartment. What's happening with this baby? So Carisi tells her his sister, it took a real man for him to get up in court and tell the truth. And he did what he did for you and the baby. And uh, suddenly there's a knock at the door and it's Tommy. And it's like, doesn't he live there? I'm, I don't know why he's knocking, but they hug like, at, like they, there's a moment where you can't tell Maybe if she's she gonna, changed like, the locks. Yeah. Oh, that's true. Maybe she did. There's a moment where you're like, yeah, maybe she changed the locks. Maybe she's changed her mind about this guy altogether. Like she finally broke after 10 years of this shit. And then she brings him in for a hug and it feels like, you know, they're going to be okay. And he goes, it's all going to be okay. We're going to be okay. And, um... So at first I wrote, you kind of can't tell if she kept the baby or not because she had kind of a guilty look when like he opened the door. Like we were like, oh, did she get, did she do an abortion? And I was like, oh, it's a Catholic Carisi mystery. But she did keep it because I uh, remembered that in Patrimonial Burden, Carisi mentions having a new niece. And then in the episode, What Can Happen in the Dark, he mentions that Bella and Tommy got married. So, you know, baby or no baby, that's Dick Wolf, but it looks like Bella and Tommy finally got hitched and have their little family. And so hopefully he's turning over a new leaf. And that's that. He is. And weed is now legal in New York City. So hopefully yeah. he invested well and is now just working at a weed shop. Yeah, I hope his record gets expunged because that's like three years out of his life and he's got a record when he tries to get jobs and shit for weed. No, Alana I, was posting on 420 about how we got to like support these groups about getting governors to give clemency to all these weed offenses. And she's right. It's like so fucked up. People are rotting in jail for weed when like I can walk out of my door and like get smacked with a weed shop in three seconds, you know? It's fucked up. Yeah. Like, okay, the law's changed. Let everybody out. Like it's wild. But, but they can't. I'm, they want the free labor. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Weed charges going away is going to, like, empty out a lot of the jails and a lot of— not empty them out completely, of course, but, like, thin them out. Um, but I'm in, looking forward to hearing about the crimes that you've got lined up for us. So everybody just listen to these messages from our sponsors, and we'll be right back. Mm-hmm. 
listen, we're all SVU fans. We love a family drama. We love a mystery to solve. And you got to get hooked into a story with the details. You need the visuals. You need the storylines with the twists and the turns. And that is what June's Journey has and more. June's Journey is a mobile mystery game that follows June Parker, a daring young girl on a quest to uncover the truth about her sister's murderer. Dun, 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 dun. This is your chance to test your detective skills because you'll play the game as June herself. The game is filled with all these beautiful detailed scenes from the 20s, like lavish estates and gardens. And of course, little hidden clues are everywhere. There's twists, turns, catchy tunes. It all takes you deeper into this storyline. And if you play well enough, you can make it into the detective club. And there you can chat with other players and even compete with or against them, which is pretty exciting. And you never know which character might be a villain. Shocking family secrets will be revealed. And can you crack the case? Find out as you escape this world and dive into June's world of mystery, murder, and romance. Okay, love that. And guess what? It's all just one tap away. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. That's June's Journey. Download the game for free on iOS and Android. All right. Um, so today's crimes are super quick, short. Um, but we got a couple, and they're right around the time of this episode, so... It's these. Um, the first case is the Samantha Verner case, and it's some Kentucky action if I've ever seen any Kentucky crimes. <laughs> so it's a correctional officer named Samantha Verner. And she was, this is what I mean. It's like, they won't say it. She was engaging in a sexual relationship with a man who was being supervised by the Department of Corrections. And that's how the Kentucky News, uh, a CBS affiliate, wrote it out. So, I don't know. Uh, They met while he was incarcerated and she was a corrections officer at the Kentucky State Reformatory, KSR, which sounds like a radio station. Um, And what's so funny, so I don't know how to say is Andrew Dismukes? Dismukes? Dismukes, yeah. He was uh, one of the comics that was with us at Moon Tower. And he did a joke that he loves watching biopics. And his favorite part is at the end of the movie where they show the photo of the real person. And he's like, they're not as hot and that I like, <laughs> and that he doesn't care about the the movie anymore cuz it's like <laughs> I only cared cuz these people were hot <laughs> and that's how I feel about this this woman should be so lucky that Susan Sharon was playing her and that's okay. how I feel <laughs> but it's they do have a similar blonde vibes but it is I just kept thinking about his joke cuz it was so recent yeah, um, yeah, yeah from when I heard it to when I did this research and I did keep laughing um at every article I found but so this guy her victim was paroled on January 2nd um 2014 and they engaged in so they were not doing anything while he was um, incarcerated. They started oh. engaging in a relationship January 5th to the 11th while he was serving time in a halfway home. And then Samantha was married at the time of the crime. And I'll explain why it was a crime because you're like, wait, but he's out. What's going yeah, on? Yeah, yeah. So, and she's not a PO. She's a corrections. She's a CO. 
So on January 15th, the man notified IAB. Okay, Tucker. What's up, Tucker? So Internal Affairs Department, he let them know because Werner threatened him. So he wanted to end their fuck relationship. Um, but she wouldn't let him. And she said that if he ended it, he she would send him back to prison if he didn't continue the relationship. So that's what happened. So Uh there was evidence, there was texts from her and nude photos. And then Werner eventually gave a taped confession that she did engage in intercourse and oral with the man while he was a parolee under the Department of Corrections. Oh, okay. So she's still in the same department and, and that's a crime for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And the threat of like... Yes, Yeah. So she was charged with third-degree rape, third-degree sodomy, and first-degree official misconduct, and she lost her job. Um, The Department of Corrections spokesperson in Kentucky, Lisa Lamb, said the DOC does not tolerate this type of activity from our staff in any form, and it is a Class D felony. And she said this to Wave 3 News. I could not find any court activity or convictions, but I did find her on the sex registry list. So that does mean she was convicted of something. But I could not, like, all the articles I found were, like, when this happened. So February of 2014, it was like, charged, charged, charged. And that's why our news sucks. It was like, ooh, salacious, salacious. And then there was no updates on convictions. But since she's on the registry, we can assume she was um, convicted of something. Um, She has tons of aliases, but I found her. And she's in Milton, Kentucky. She's 48 years old. And um, yeah, Samantha and Clay Combe as of now. And um, she's living it out in Kentucky. So she either got convicted or she made a deal like the way Susan Sharon did. You're right. You're right. So she might have not and just gotten on the registry, but she's living, living large in Kentucky. Um, And, you know, got fired. And they were fucking from like the 5th to the 11th. He was like, I've had enough. And she was like, nah, bitch, you're going back to prison. And he said... (laughs) No, you're gonna. You're about to lose your job. You and, about to lose your job, <laughs> and she did. And so, sorry, Sammy. And then this next case was on the wiki. We will cover it. I. It happened, you know, in 2013. So it could have influenced it because it was a man with gunpoint. Can someone get hard or not? But this doesn't yeah. relate in terms of like corrections or anything like right. that. So this is what happened. And this happened in Chicago in my county, Cook County. What's up? So (laughs) we have to cover it. Obviously, we have to cover it. So this case is the Sierra Ross case. So Sierra Ross at the time was a 25-year-old mother. And she was driving around and she picked up a stranger who was a 33-year-old man. And she basically was like, you know, middle of the night, four or five in the morning. And she was like, offered a man a ride. And he got into her car. And then at gunpoint, she forced him to have sex with another woman in the back of the vehicle. Oh, not even her, a separate woman. Yes, her friend. And again, the articles all say forced him to have sex with another woman. Wow. It was not rape. It was not assault. It was forced to have sex. Like all the language is different. So crazy. Yeah. Um, so the assistant state's attorney, Amanda Pillsbury, which obviously reminds me of the Doughboy. What's up? 
And she told a Chicago judge that the incident began around, like I said, five um, in the morning on July 26th. So I think the taste of Chicago is raging. The city is alive. It's hot. (laughs) Everyone's out and about. Um, So she offered the victim a ride. And after he got in the car, she pulled a gun on him and demanded he get into the backseat of the car and have sex with her friend. And it's like, okay, like, was her friend, what's going on? Like, I want more details. Like, it really bothers me that I couldn't get more information on anything. He begged for them to stop, but she forced um, him to put his hands on her breasts and butt. And then the man eventually escaped when he saw a cab's headlights nearby and he escaped wearing only a t-shirt. So Winnie the Pooh style just ran out. (laughs) He flagged a cab um, and the cab driver was super helpful. And allowed the victim to use um, his cell phone to take a picture of the license plate and then email himself the picture of the attacker's license plate. Wow. Also, according to the Chicago Sun-Times, he picked Ross out of a lineup. So he had wow. two bits of evidence. So it was the license plate, Ross out of a lineup, and then there was also DNA evidence. And then Ross, a mother of two, uh, worked at a local Denny's restaurant and had a previous conviction for prostitution. She was booked by Cook County Sheriff's Department on September 5th and charged with aggravated criminal sexual assault and armed robbery for stealing $200 and his credit cards and an iPhone. Um, The other woman was not charged. Why? Uh, I don't know. Um, And then Sierra was held uh, because she was not able to pay her $75,000 bail or bond or whatever. And then same thing. I was not able to find anything about a conviction or anything, but this person was not on any registry. Wow. And so I don't know if she settled, what happened. I don't know where she is. I cannot find any updates. If anyone is better and can find any information, let me know. But I was looking for court information, county, like I I could not find anything um, additional about the case or what ended up happening. But that, happened. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. That just seems like a wild, like, I don't know, let's just pick up a guy and get him to do, I mean, it's like, oh, it's so crazy. Um. Well, thanks for looking into those two. Well, part of me is like, maybe they were on drugs, but yeah. like, uh, they would have been charged probably for drug stuff or drug tested, right? And or do you no? think the friend threw Sierra under the bus and was like, she forced me to. Like, I didn't, I had the gun was on me also. Like, that's why she didn't get charged. I don't know. Wow. Everybody is very wild in this world, but our next guest is a good one. You guys are going to love it. Don't go anywhere. Our guest today is an actor who has done a ton of incredible projects. He's played Cal Chapman on Orange is the New Black because you know we are going to collect them all. And he has a main role on the show on Apple called Severance that people are obsessed with. He's also in the new Rachel Vice show called Dead Ringers. But you know him today as Bella Carisi's sad sack boyfriend, Tommy Sullivan. Guys, please check out our chat with Michael Chernus. Hi. We're so pumped. I mean, not to be too creepy, but I did see you at baggage claim at JFK like last month, I feel. No so if, way. If you felt like someone was staring at you, 
That was you? It was me. (laughs) Is that why I got asked to do this podcast? (laughs) Well, no, we've been trying for a while and we we have a mutual as well. But when I I texted Kara immediately, I'm like, he's here. We, yeah, it was was a sign. (laughs) Now, Carisi's brother-in-law, we had to do it. Yeah. Um, Tommy. (laughs) Old Tommy boy. Poor guy. Tommy Sullivan. (laughs) Said a tough go. What, how did your SVU like uh, story start? You started out on season 13. Do you remember auditioning? Did you like the show in advance? Like, are you one of those people, like a New York actor who'd been in that room like 12 times and then you finally got an, an SVU part? I, yes, I had been in all the rooms like 12. This, so I've only ever done SVU. I never did Law and Order Classic. I never did Criminal Intent. I feel like I auditioned for Criminal Intent, like not even kidding, like 20 times. Um, <laughs> I remember this audition because, well, actually, sorry. I auditioned for the first one, Educated Guess. I remember because it's the two scenes. There's an interrogation scene, and then there's the scene in the mental health facility where I throw the chair. And that's like some acting is required. And so in an audition, that's always awkward where you just have to go for it. And um, people are just staring at you. And um, I really thought I'd totally screwed it up and um, was shocked when I got offered that Ooh. episode. Did you and throw then, a chair? How did you do it in the room? That's a good question. I don't, I, d- I did not throw a chair, but I think I like picked up the chair that, I, you know, that, that horrible half acting thing in an audition where I picked it up and like gestured like I threw it and then <laughs> had to put it, put it back down. <laughs> but then I think I was just offered the this one that we're talking about. Um, right. For all violations. Because I was a returning... Friend. Um, friend. I was of, shocked yeah. to look up how close they were together. They're only yeah. like three and a half years apart. Yeah. Yeah. I had forgotten how close. I mean, they're two different characters and they're totally pretty close together in the canon. <laughs> yes. And we talk about that all the time. We debate because it, sometimes it bothers me if somebody is too close because I'm like, I remember that guy from another episode. Like, yeah. I, I, he hasn't had time to clear in my mind yet before yeah. he gets into another episode. But I like it. I, I like you love it, and I knew you from other stuff. So I was just like, "It's fine. We'll get him back in here." Um, (laughs) But can you tell us about the iced tea moment in your first episode? Being grilled by him, his diamond was sparkling. (laughs) Sparkling. I was so intimidated. I was a I was a big fan of iced tea. I'm a fan of iced tea, but as a kid, loved him. And um, uh, Coco was there. Oh, we hear she's on set a lot. She was there. and that was wild. I, you've probably everyone has talked about this, but the dressing room area is really small, um, and so everybody's just kind of their rooms are all right there. And um, so Coco was just like a, hanging out in the dressing room area, and um, I don't even Ice Mister T. I don't remember what I'm <laughs> supposed to call him, but he was great. He was uh, lovely, and um, it was you know it's always very fast. I, I rewatched both of them recently. And I was like, God, I remember just. When you're a guest, it's such a weird thing to be dropped in the middle of this, you know, especially with SVU, this train that's just been rolling for years and everybody, the regulars know what they're doing and you're just, it's your first day and it's just crazy, you know? And um, so he was awesome. I don't really remember much more than just being totally freaked out and probably like standing outside of myself the whole time. And um, (laughs) yeah, but he was great. And um 
The chair throwing day was weird because um, anytime you have to do any kind of anything that could be violent, even though it's like I'm throwing it at a wall, there's just so many more people who are involved on set, like stunt coordinators. And um, I just got really in my head about throwing this chair. And I remember it was just like, how do I do this? How would I? Um, so, um, yeah, it's just always very awkward to be dropped in the middle of a show like this. Yeah. So were you nervous that you wouldn't throw the chair hard enough or like... Wouldn't throw it hard, hard enough or like throw it on the mark or that it would just look wimpy or that I would... It would bounce off the wall and like hit somebody, like kill Danny Pino or something. <laughs> yeah. It's such no. a weird thing too. I'm sure everybody talks about this, but you know, everyone on these episodes are just great New York actors who I've known for years. I've known Kelly Giddish for years and Peter Scanavino and... All these people, I've just, we've all been in play readings and audition rooms together for decades now. And so it's so fun to watch Law and Order and just see this great parade of New York actors every episode. So, wait, what happened when you like originally read the script for this? Were you surprised? Because this is like a literal flipping of the script. The show does not have grown male victims that often on the show. No. And they they kind of twisted things around here. So when you first read it, well, what were your thoughts? The, and the drug dealer reveal, I feel, is like an exciting twist as well. Yeah. Um, I was honored to be a male victim. <laughs> I no, I remember reading it and thinking, wow, this is a real this is really meaty. This is a this is a challenge. Cause I think previously some of the other parts I'd auditioned for on SVU were like smaller, you know, this this really there were a lot of scenes and it was it was sort of this unexpected twist. I feel like now even now it feels a little dated, but at the time it was like shocking. I remember the yeah. commercials for it before the episode aired were like a male rape victim. Dun, dun, dun. Like it was just something you've never heard of. Yeah. Which of course it of course that happens as they talk about in the episode, but yeah, I felt like oh this is exciting, this is different. This could um I don't want to say like groundbreaking, but it, it could be interesting and something that people don't usually see or think about. Um, yeah. Yeah, so it's, it felt like a good challenge. Oh, yeah. Well, I think like what we're... Sorry, I'm like all over the place. Um, I feel like we both are huge Orange fans. So we love... Yeah. Like, I love your character from from that show with Cal. And there seemed yeah. to be like a little bit of him in this. I, what's the timeline? Like, was this while you were doing Orange or was this a, like after... Yeah, it was during it. I mean, you know, Orange yeah. was seven seasons. So right. um, so much of what I've done has been also while Orange was happening. Um, there's a moment in one of the earlier seasons of Orange where I was also on a World War II drama called Manhattan about the Manhattan Project and the creation oh, of the right. atom bomb. And so I had like a short 1940s mustache all of a sudden. And I would, I would, had they had to write something into Orange where um, Piper says like, are you in like a... World War II cosplay group or something. <laughs> and uh, uh, so I feel like I was always showing up with different like hair lengths and stuff on Orange because I was just a recurring character. I was yeah, yeah. For a couple. Um, so yeah, this, this I think, aired in 2015. Yeah, violations. something. Yeah. So yeah, that was right in the... We shot the first episode of Orange we shot in 2012, I think. Um, it was like the fall of 2012. And, um, you know, it was so weird back then. We didn't know what it was going to be because a Netflix show, like House of Cards hadn't come out yet. There was no blueprint for like what a streaming show was. You had HBO shows, but like what's a Netflix show? 
So we shot that whole first season not really knowing like what the impact of it was going to be. And um, it changed it, everything. It really did in a lot of ways. Yeah. And you're in a hit show now. Yeah. Severance. I How am. does it feel? A hit New York show. It that feels shoots, great. That shoots in New York too? That's a New York show. Wow, yeah. wow, wow. Um, yeah, Severance is, I think it's amazing. And, um, you know, I always think it's kind of hokey when actors say this, but it's, I think it's a work of art. Like just visually, uh, what the design team and our cinematographer and our producer Ben Stiller did visually alone is extraordinary. And then the writing is incredible. Yeah. The detail that's involved and then the performances. Um, it's really, I think, a special program. Do um, you play, like, what kind of character do you play in that? Because I feel like I see, like, a through line kind of between Cal and this character on SVU. <laughs> but, like, are you somebody totally different on Severance? Or, like... Not at all. Are you still kind of like a lovable, a lovable, like, what? I didn't know. Like I think it must, it must just be me because... <laughs> People on Twitter, not always in a nice way, have been saying, like, he plays the same part in everything. <laughs> um, I mean, this guy is, like, a little more grown up, maybe, than Cal. But um, he's a, sort of a pretentious, new age, um, like, self-help writer. But he's definitely, like, hippy-dippy. And um, his name is Dr. Rickenhale. And um, I'm married to the main character's wife, uh, sister. My wife is... Adam Scott's character's sister. So I'm uh, Mark, the main character's brother-in-law. And um, I don't want to spoil anything, but um, I've written a book called The UUR. That is a <laughs> self-help book that then has some impact on the oh. first Okay, yeah, no spoilers. I really want to watch the whole thing. Um, you keep talking about kind of like the lovable silliness of your characters. And I really loved the scene where they're visiting you and you're in your prison jumpsuit. And they let you know that they like told a supervisor and you're like, what the, why would you do that? And I, <laughs> I knew it was all very serious, but I did find myself like laughing during that scene. No, really it's ridiculous. It. I watched it too. And I was laughing. I was like, what is going on? <laughs> well, because I'm just in this orange romper. I look like a giant orange toddler. And, uh, we're having this, it feels like the blocking is like we're trying to be in like Reservoir Dogs or something too. <laughs> it's me, Peter Scanavino and Danny Pino and we're just like standing around, moving around like we're talking. <laughs> I think the director said like, just be quiet. I was trying to do like a big acting thing at one point and they were like, yeah, but someone could be listening. You never know if a guard's going to walk by or whatever. Right. So, no, it's hushed. I love how seriously everyone takes being on SVU because like when you're watching it at home, I'm like, this is ridiculous. No, I know. And like, especially if you go into old seasons, we always talk about how like there's really campy kind of crazy episodes in like yeah. the earlier seasons. It's become like more serious now where they yeah, don't really do yeah. that anymore. But back in the day, it'd be like, wait, there's a, there's a gibbon in a basketball? What's happening? <laughs> like, you know, there'd be like all these wa wacky episodes. Um, but also I think it's funny when like you're obviously a skilled dramatic actor, but you've done comedy as well. And you can just tell when comedy people, like they can't not make stuff funny sometimes. Like right. we, they, yeah. we see, like even Martin Short was like a total creep in an episode of SVU, <laughs> but he had like one or two lines where you're like, you can still tell he's a comedy guy, you know? Even he though has he's to. This horrible like killer. There are plenty of funny creeps. Yeah. Oh, know. yeah. yeah. <laughs> we Who know love that. to be funny while they're being creepy. Um, yeah, no, I think... Um, 
you have to, I mean, you have to say yes to the moment, right? I mean, that yeah. sounds sort of cheesy, but like if you're standing around in a orange jumper talking to two detectives with New York accents, it's just, you kind of are like, it just, you have to acknowledge the ridiculousness of it sometimes. Oh, yeah. Major yeah. New York accents, those two. I mean, yeah. there's some big accents happening too. <laughs> yeah. I was accents. like, wow. Wow, everyone's going for it. You cheated yeah. on my pregnant sister? Like, yeah. Bella, what are you doing? <laughs> Bella yeah, Carisi. <laughs> I do want to know, you know, you've been working. You're out there. You're booked. You're blessed. Okay, you've worked with sure. cool people. Are, um, do Thank you, you. Are there moments that you've been really starstruck or you've been like, holy oh, shit? Yeah. Like, what are kind of your, you know, things you'd like to share highlight-wise where you were like, oh my God. So many. Um... One very recently, I was at the Critics' Choice Awards on the red carpet, and um, which is just a, a cavalcade of starstruck, you know, all these very famous people. But I was doing some on-camera interview, and they're all just one right after the other in a line, you know. And I'm talking to some person, and next to me, all of a sudden, appears Paul Reiser. And um, as a teenager, I was obsessed with Mad About You. <laughs> I'm wow. not even kidding. Obsessed. Um, I grew up in Cleveland, Ohio, and I really wanted to move to New York, and I really wanted to be an actor. And I think for me, it it felt like a, a real, honest representation of living in New York City. So my junior of high school, there was always like the fall play and the spring musical. But in the winter, there was this open slot called the Underground Theater at my high school, where juniors and seniors could direct like a little skit or whatever. They would give upperclassmen like a half an hour to direct something at my high school. And so I decided I would direct an episode of Mad About You for the stage. Oh. And cast myself as Paul Buckman, which is the character Paul Reiser played. And I was going to choose a crossover Seinfeld Mad About You episode where Kramer appears. And we find out that Kramer's apartment on Seinfeld actually used to belong to Paul Reiser and he's actually subletting it to Kramer. <laughs> so... I now have the task of casting a Kramer from Rocky River High School in the <laughs> suburbs of Cleveland. And um, also in 1993 or whenever this was, how you adapted Mad About You for the stage or how I did was to tape it with a VCR and then press play. And then they'd say a line, you press pause and write it down on a piece of paper. And so I hand wrote the entire episode and then took it to my dad's office on the weekend to use the Xerox machine and Xerox copies of this and held auditions at my high school. And so, like, I was this mad about you super fan who, like, did a Rushmore style stage production. And um, all of a sudden, years later, I'm standing next to Paul Reiser on the carpet and I freaked out. Like, I couldn't believe I was oh, standing wow. next to my hero. I got to work with Tom Hanks on Captain Phillips for like eight weeks, which was extraordinary. And we, one of the first nights we um, both slept overnight on the ship. Like we were normally staying at a hotel, but we had a real actual merchant marine container ship that we shot the movie on. And we asked if we could like spend the night at sea um, with a real crew of actual merchant seamen who were operating the ship. Um, and so that was crazy. Um, meeting him and spending that much time with him uh, was definitely a starstruck moment. Whose um, idea was it to sleep on the ship? 
It was Tom's, and I just totally, <laughs> you know, weaseled my way in. I was like, I want to do that too. <laughs> but another quick Cleveland story. When I was a kid, uh, my best friend's mom worked at uh, the local regional theater, the Great Lakes Theater Festival. And that's actually where Hanks got his very first professional acting job, like where he got his equity card doing Shakespeare. And um, he comes back a lot to like give back. And he did this one night fundraiser where he did a one man performance or whatever. And my best friend's mom was like, do you guys want to come see the show for free? And then you can work the after party, like be bus boys or whatever. And I was like, oh my God, yes, I have to do that. And our first task of the night after the show was to stand at this Cleveland restaurant um, in the parking lot. It was a snowy, cold, bitter cold Cleveland night. And we, I, we had to stand in the parking space right in front of the restaurant, right in front of the door for Mr. Hanks's car. And we're out there freezing all night, waiting for him to show up. And his car finally pulls up and he jumps out of the car. And he's really skinny because he'd been doing Philadelphia at the time. Oh. And he's got this weird little beanie cap on and he sees us and he goes, how's it going, cats? <laughs> and like I, my little teenage brain was blown and um, all night I just stood near his table like weirdly trying to refill his water every 30 seconds and not doing any of my other busboy duties and um, it was just like a pivotal memory for me as a kid and so then fast forward years later I'm on this like ship in Malta where we made Captain Phillips spending the night with him and we're just shooting the shit. And he's like, where are you from? I'm from Cleveland. He's like, oh, I know Cleveland. And I was like, I know. We met. <laughs> and I told him that whole story. And um, his only response to that entire story was, I never would have said cats. Amazing. So cute. You're kind of witchy, you know? These moments uh, coming back from your childhood. You manifested it all yeah. as, a, as a child. Yeah. Yeah. So what was the first thing that made... Because you're Juilliard, you're, you know, an actor. What was... Did you grow up in an artsy home? Was it mad about you? What was it that, like, made you do it? <laughs> no, not a particularly artsy home at all. Um, but I had very supportive parents. My mom especially was just that type of mom who would drive me to play practice and, you know... Um, I was like a dorky kid, surprise, surprise, um, uh, an actor who was a dorky kid. And, um, <laughs> what? <laughs> I was like a chubby kid and sports weren't my thing. And, um, I didn't really have like a real friend group and I just stumbled upon the eighth grade play really. Like, um, I had a great English teacher who would always make us get up and read from Dickens or whatever thing we were reading. And he said, like, you have a great speaking voice. You should audition for the school play. And in this eighth grade, they were doing a production of The Hobbit. Um, and I auditioned and was cast as Gandalf the Wizard and um, just fell in love with it. I mean, just was immediately like I was struck by lightning. Like I was like, this is what I want to do. In every element, like there were other kids who seemed like me who were obsessed with TV and movies and pop culture and everybody was nice and not mean and I wasn't getting beat up. And, and I felt like I was good at it and like had almost like this innate instinct for doing it. Also, my dad, you know, as a young man, I was like always wanting my dad's like attention and approval. And supposedly when I first came on stage, he was like very moved by me speaking on stage. And my first line was, 
Ah, the Shire. How delicious the morning is in this part of the world. The air is stuffed with comfort. And um, for years then, my dad would always like come down to breakfast and go, Ah, the Shire. Ah, the Shire. <laughs> That's how you sounded, Mike. Ah, the Shire. This booming voice. And so it was this, uh, this like folklore in my family of Ah, the Shire. Um, and almost became like shorthand for just like a, a major moment. It was like an Ah, the Shire moment. And years later, I had a, a woman I was dating in New York come home for the holidays with me. And I was like, we got to pop in the tape. We got to, I got to show you where it all started, you know, <laughs> ah, the Shire. And this grainy VHS tape, out comes this kid in like a Halloween wizard outfit, this like <laughs> purple robe with like a fake white beard. And I'm like, ah, the Shire. How delicious <laughs> the morning is in this part of the world. The air is stuffed with comfort. Oh, Bill Baggins. Like, <laughs> Not a booming 13-year-old cracking prepubescent. Um, so. I love this that. Is so heartwarming. Oh, thanks. We went, we went deep. Who knew? Speaking of people, so one more like uh <laughs> one person that I was like just starstruck by and who did a jerky thing, and I just can't reconcile it with my memory of him is Will Smith who, of course, last year did a jerky thing at the Oscars. Yeah. But, like, I worked with him on Men in Black 3, and I didn't have a lot of credits to my name at the time. And he was just the best. Like, he was so kind to me. And, you know, like Marishka, I feel like maybe when people are, like, a producer on something as well, and they are sort of the franchisers, like, an added responsibility. But he would always call me Big Mike, and he would be like, we got Big Mike today. We got Big Mike on set. Let's go. This is a big day, MIB3. And he was just such a... He was so supportive of me, and he didn't have to be. I had two little scenes. But one of my scenes is on the top of the Chrysler building. And we're both going to... He's going to jump off of it to go, go back in time with whatever some Men in Black 3 made up time, <laughs> time travel logic. So we obviously we weren't on the top of the Chrysler building, but it was on a soundstage and they'd built maybe a 30-foot high replica of the top of the, maybe even 40-foot. It was this huge, huge thing in this giant warehouse at Steiner Studios. And it looked just like the top of the Chrysler building, which has these four like eagle heads or griffin heads coming off of it. And that's what we had to stand on and Agent J was going to jump off of. So we're up very high and we're harnessed in so we don't, if we fall, we don't die. And they have all these giant fans that are going to blow on us to represent like alien ships blowing air on us or whatever. And the whole crew is down below and Barry Sonnenfeld's directing and he has like literally a megaphone because we're so far away from him. And I've rehearsed this scene so many times beforehand with Will at home, but I have all this made up, you know, alien gobbledygook you know, made up nonsense that I have to say. And the first take, they call action and I walk out to the edge of this eagle head and I can't remember a word of it. Like I, not only can I not remember my lines, I don't know who I am. Like I couldn't tell you my address or and <sighs> like I, I go into like a fugue state. I'm just like, uh, uh, line. <laughs> and Barry Sonnenfeld yells through the megaphone like, cut, Jesus Christ. And like, go back, go back to one, reset. And um, I'm totally freaking out. I'm like, my career's over. I'm going to get fired. And I say to Mr. Will Smith, I'm like, I'm so sorry. And he goes, what are you apologizing for? We make movies in pieces. We're going to be here all day. 
We're going to do like a million takes of this. I'm going to forget stuff. You're going to forget stuff. We're going to have lunch. We're going to come back. We're going to be tired after lunch. We're going to forget more lines. We make movies in pieces. Let's go. Let's do it. And it was like the greatest gift ever. It was just like this moment where he just opened it up for me. And I, it was like, oh, right. Right. Yeah. We make, we make movies in pieces. This isn't a play. Like I didn't. And um, I say that now all the time to other actors. If I'm on a show and there's a guest star who forgets their lines and, and goes into a panic attack tailspin, I say, don't worry about it. We make movies in pieces. Yeah. And so, yeah, it was just, that was such a shock. I mean, we don't need to talk about it because it's been dissected in the press for the past year, but I was just shocked to see that level of violent aggression from him because he was just the kindest man in the world to me. And he didn't have to be. Yeah. That's so nice. He was my first celebrity crush. Yeah. Sure. I mean, we always say, too, you never know what people are going through. You never know what's going on in fair. someone else's that's, life, you know? Deep, so who, who knows fair. what that's that day, fair. that evening, who knows? We weren't inside of his head. And um, Kara's new parenting thing I learned, two things can be true. You know yeah. what I mean? That's what two I say. Two things can be true. <laughs> we say that to my kids all the time. And we like, say that all yeah. the time. Besides, um, besides severance, is there anything you want our listeners to check out? Anything coming up that you have going on? Yes, I'm in something very cool that comes out April 21st on Amazon oh, Video uh, called Dead Ringers, which is based on the Cronenberg film from the 80s that starred Jeremy Irons. Very famously at the time, it was a big deal because Jeremy Irons played twins, played both characters, and he was on camera uh, w with himself, which was groundbreaking, I think, wow. at the time. Um, now, this is a six-part uh, limited series and Rachel Weiss, the very, very talented, lovely Rachel Weiss, uh, plays the two, the twins, the twin characters, the, man, the Mantle twins, Elliot and Beverly Mantle. So it's a it's a wild sort of thriller, uh, psychological thriller, sort of sci-fi about these two brilliant scientists, doctors who are opening a state-of-the-art women's birthing center um, in New York. Yeah, so I play an embryologist on the show who is sort of the best and maybe only friend of one of the two Mantle twins, Elliot Mantle, who Rachel Weisz plays. And um, it's really good. I think it's really weird and fun and sexy and creepy and thought-provoking. Cool. So that's April, April 21st on Amazon. April 21st, she's Dead Ringers. The coolest. She's the coolest. The moment I saw her in The Mummy as a child, it really made an impact. Yeah. On our whole family, I would say. The Traegers <laughs> love her. Is everyone okay? She's so gorgeous. <laughs> That's so um, cool. I can't wait to watch this. Yeah, yeah. check it out. Check it oh, out. Yes. Thank you so yeah. much. Um, thank you so much for taking the time oh, to talk God. to us, thank Michael. You this guys. was, so, it was fun. so fun. It was so fun. I love him. He's so funny. Okay, wait. So I got to tell you guys, after the interview, he messaged us and was like, I forgot to tell this story. So I said I would read it at our um, outro. And he goes, I feel like such an idiot. I forgot a really good story during our interview after my Tommy O'Sullivan episode of SVU aired this one. He's like, my wife and I were in the West Village at a clothing store and this woman kept staring at me and it was kind of weird. She kept sort of following us around the store and she looked very concerned. Finally, she comes up to me and says, are you okay? How are you doing? She had completely mixed me up with the character and thought that I, Michael Chernus, had been raped by my parole officer. So I said, people tell Kelly Giddish she shouldn't be in a casino. So you're not the first person to get mixed up with your SV, mistaken for your SVU character. 
But he's a badass. I hope his baby, maybe yeah. The baby was born. The baby was born. Wow. I saw. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. I'm so happy for him. His jo- his joyous, great spirit and his fun name drop stories, you know? Like I loved yeah. learning all the cool stuff. Yeah, he was great. So postmortem on this episode, I guess, is like the depressing state of the parole like institution in our country that they just fucking own you and can make you do anything. And that sucks. And there's corruption everywhere. But I'm glad that this person got caught. Lisa, any final thoughts? I don't know. Great acting. I'm glad everyone learned that men can get raped. Um, Susan Sharon is a god. Yeah, Susan Sharon forever. I don't know. I have nothing else. The parole system sucks. Police suck. Joe Rogan fans are out of their minds. And great episode. And I enjoyed covering it. I mean, it was, um, it was, yeah. I like the, I like sort of, I really want a future episode with like Bella Carisi, Serafina Carisi. I want to see Rollins interacting with the Carisi women. There's, there's two more sisters that seem off their rockers that we've never met. We tried to cast them. Let's, fucking see it. I want to see this happen. Maybe, well, I mean, mean, apparently there's like a baby coming between them, so we'll see. But let's get into our What Would Sister Peg Do? This is our weekly segment where we direct you to a blog, post, a podcast episode, an organization, something to help you get more info about whatever we touched on in this week's episode. And this week, I wanted to point you guys to the Anti-Recidivism Coalition. Recidivism is like returning back to incarceration after you are released because a lot of people, we don't make it easy for people who have just gotten out of prison to reintegrate into society. And so the um, the goal of this coalition is to, quote, empower formerly and currently incarcerated people to thrive by prov- by providing a support network, comprehensive reentry services, and opportunities to advocate for policy change. So they provide advocacy, mental health services, housing, and creative groups that provide, quote, healing through creative expression. So I love that. And I really feel like Orange is the New Black with Tasty storyline and Piper storyline of like getting out and what it's like to get out and get back into the world is like made me realize that this is a big problem for people. So check out antirecidivism.org for more info and you can donate. And as usual, that will be saved in the highlights WWSPD on our Instagram page the day the episode comes out. Yes, thank you for that. Um, I really, I'm thinking of Orange. I liked the post people made about the writer's strike where it was like, The Shield put FX on the map. Mad Men put AMC on the map. House of Cards put Netflix on the map. Not mm-hmm. CEOs. CEOs yeah. left to creativity. You get Quibi. Yes, I saw that tweet. I love that. And that's how I feel. It's like, why don't they fucking see it? I don't know what they think is going to happen. They think people are just going to go back and watch old stuff or stuff that's just there that they don't need new stuff. So they're willing to just not make new programming. Uh, the I listened to a whole episode of, of the podcast today with uh, uh, my friend Adam Conover, who's like one of the heads of the WGA negotiating people. And like, it's like, they're not coming to the table on crazy shit. Like, they're like, hey, can we just agree that like, you can't use AI to replace us? And the, the AMTMP or whatever, like the negotiating studio organization was like, um, we can agree to have a meeting about it once a year. And it's like, what? Like, that's not what anyone's asking for is a yearly meeting to stop robots from taking our jobs, you know? So like, it's, they're really not coming to the table on a no, lot of stuff. It's and wild. I, 
And I heard that they're just focused on creating content for background so people could be on their phones and they don't care about making good television. They just need something to be there while we're scrolling. Ugh. It's wild. Yeah. It's Sorry. So good. I that feel like maybe. Up. Yeah. Also, if you've made it to the bitter end, I watched Shrek 3 yesterday. Great. It was great. <laughs> Is that when he has the triplets? Yeah. Yeah. It was cute. I've watched you know. it. Yeah, <laughs> I haven't seen that one. Um, and next week, we will be doing Asunder, a word that Kara will tell us what it means next week. <laughs> Season two, episode seven for another, should I say, another fantastic episode of our own podcast. Thank yes. you so much. They're all fantastic. Guys, give us a follow on Instagram. See what we're up to. That's messed up pod at Instagram.com. And then- oh, and, uh, and I'm doing stand up in Denver after... Um, we podcast, so stick around. Guys, go see Lisa. She's doing uh, stand-up at Denver Comedy Works right around when we're doing our podcast. Check their schedule and see you guys next week. That's Messed Up is an Exactly Right production. If you have compliments you'd like to give us or episodes you'd like us to cover, shoot us an email at thatsmessedappod at gmail.com. Follow the podcast on Instagram at thatsmessedappod and on Twitter at messeduppod. And follow us personally at Kara Clank and at Glitter Cheese. As always, please see our show notes for sources and more information. Thank you so much to our producer, Casey O'Brien. And to our mixer, John Bradley, and our guest booker, Patrick Kotner. And to Henry Kapersky for our theme song and Carly Jean Andrews for our artwork. Thank you to our executive producers, Georgia Hardstart, Karen Kilgariff, Danielle Kramer, and everybody at Exactly Right Media. Dun, dun! dun. <laughs> Follow That's Messed Up and SVU Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen so you don't miss an episode. If you like what you hear, rate and review the show. Visit exactlyrightstore.com to purchase That's Messed Up merch.